So we're talking uh, this morning about mission to the heart. Um, and um, just to, to help us with that, the, the, the background of this story that we've read in Scripture is, uh, is from Paul's second missionary journey, uh, about AD 49 or so. It's fascinating, actually, when you look at his missionary journey to see where on earth he went. Um, I, I went through it. Uh, Derby. List, not, that's not Derby. Um, <laughs> Derby. Um, Lystra, Iconium, Phrygia, Galatia the Roman province of Asia, Mysia, Bithynia, Troas, Macedonia, Samothrace, Neapolis, Philippi, and Theatrera. This guy was busy. He was on the road. No one can say that Paul was not a mover and shaker uh, with this massive missionary journey that he was on. Most of us would think that one location uh, was enough to take the gospel of Jesus to. Uh, But Paul was not satisfied with that. Off he went. Uh, on this massive journey. I was actually looking back at, uh, we, we've just moved, as some of you will know, or fairly recently moved, and I was looking back at where we had been in our lives. Uh, we've moved 13 times in our 36 years of marriage, uh, sometimes just for short periods, three, four months in a place, uh, but actually we, we, don't, we find it hard to think that we are settled for a period uh, because we always have been sort of looking to the next move. But here we are, uh, Paul is on one of these missionary journeys. I love the accounts of Acts. Um, I love the whole Bible, um, actually, but I love the account of Acts. I know that we find difficult times in Acts. We heard about it on the radio, if you listen to the radio this morning, the persecution of Stephen, the, the, the martyrdom of Stephen. And we find plenty of persecution and martyrdom. But we also find excitement about this new thing that's around called church. We find growth in the church. We find church planting. It's just exciting stuff. And one of the things I long for in the local church, and partly why I have this involvement with Filling Station at the moment, um, is because I long to see some rekindling of the excitement about church in the communities that we live in today. And here in this section of Acts, we're in Philippi, and it is the Sabbath. And when we read the scriptures, we're told uh, that they expected to find a place of prayer. On the Sabbath, we went outside in the city, to, uh, at the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. I'm not sure if that means that they thought they could get away from the hustle and bustle of the city uh, into a quiet place of prayer. Um, that, of course, is a misconception because prayer doesn't necessarily need to be just quiet. It can be very noisy uh, if prayer is really going on hard. Or perhaps they had heard... Uh, of some Christians who already met for prayer uh, in this place uh, on the Sabbath. Whichever, uh, this is what they did. On the Sabbath, they sought out a place for prayer. And interestingly, the first church actually described in the city uh, was a small building, which was probably uh, originally simply a small house of prayer. And so what I'm going to do this morning is just to unpack a bit of this passage, uh, mainly, mainly verses 11 through to the end, to explore a bit about how this passage might help us understand our mission. That's not only uh, this church's mission. You look around at the building, of course the building is not the church. We, you are the church. Um, not only the church's mission, but also our individual mission, which are, in essence, one and the same thing. So, we have got a PowerPoint, but 
We don't need to use it uh, as ever. Uh, PowerPoint's only a help to sort of remind ourselves. So firstly, uh, uh, we read they expected to go out and find a place of prayer. And in verse 13, we, we discover that they sat down and began to speak to the women. Now, one of my, my issues with the local church, it's easy having issues with the local church when, when, you've, uh, when you've retired. Um, you know, when you're in the church, you, you have less issues with it because you're supposed to be leading it. When you're not in the church as a leader, well, you can have as many issues as you want. And one of my issues with the church is that the mission sometimes in the church is simply too organised. It's too organised. Uh, you know, the, I'm sure you'll have heard these expressions around in the local church. We're doing a mission. Or we're having a mission week. Which is fine, except uh, that, that often is what it is all about. We get the dates, we sort out what we're going to do, we devise a rota, because of course nothing happens in the church without a rota, and we do mission. The danger is that we think that's it. You know, we do a mission week, and then the rest of the 51 weeks, well, what do we do for the rest of the 51 weeks? The mission is the life of the whole of the church, the whole of the time. There are no dividing walls between what is mission and what is not mission in life. You know, we are all engaged in that all the time. And we know that Jesus says, uh, and we'll come back to this later on, by this, in John 13, by this everyone will know you are my disciples. He goes on to say, if you love one another, well, loving one another is a great mission strategy, I have to say. Uh, It's a great mission strategy. So the mission is 24-7 for the churches. And here, in Acts, is a simple mission strategy. They sat down and began to speak to the women. Great. This is radical stuff sometimes for churches who often lock themselves behind the doors and don't speak to anyone, apart from the people who come into the building itself. So where can you speak to the people? Well, we've recently moved, seven months ago, we moved to Langford Budville, just outside Wellington, and we have been engaging in this mission strategy, speaking to the people. Fortunately, we only live 39 steps from the pub. That's a good start. (laughs) And so we go next door and we speak to the people. You know, the publican and his wife, they know us. Uh, they probably know us because we only have a half of beer each time. But we go there regularly. The guy who sits at the bar, who's a regular at the bar, he knows us. He complained the other day because I was sitting with some friends on the little round table. It's a small, it's a pub which is mainly based on food. And the, but there's one small little table which is not a food service table. And I was sitting on it and it's called the grumpy old men table. <laughs> And he, he turned from the, uh, from, from the bar where he normally sits at the stall and he said, you can't sit there, you're too young. And I said, I might be young, but I can be as grumpy as anybody. <laughs> so we've, we've moved into the, 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 the pub. We, we've, uh, on Sundays, we often, uh, or tw- twice a year, certainly, we go to Church on the Verge. Church on the Verge is the litter-picking brigade in the village. We meet and we go around the streets and pick up litter uh, and so that the village looks neat and tidy. We go to Budview, which is our local cinema, uh, in the village hall. Uh, we go to the village hall meetings. We go to Langford Ladies. Well, I don't go to Langford Ladies, and actually Lauren doesn't go that much either because it's not really her scene. But she has been to Langford Ladies. 
we speak to the people. Most of these people out there are not Christians. In fact, sometimes I go to the local church and speak to the people, and I'm not sure where they are either. But we speak to the people. We don't have huge theological discussions. We just talk. We chat. And, of course, here, next door, is the ideal example of where to speak to people. Because the people who come in there are just coming in for a coffee. But you have a chat with them. It's a great mission strategy. So, firstly, they sat down and began to speak to the people. Secondly, from this passage, I think, um, as we think about mission to the heart, we recognise that God wants to reach all people. I know it says there was a group of women gathered there. Women are good at gathering, aren't they? You know, they have coffee mornings and they chat. Us men, let me finish, let me finish. Us men are not so good at it, are we? Oh, that's a debate to go on. My view is, my view is that men are not as good at chatting as men are. Um... But the woman, uh, woman who focus, the woman that we actually focus on here is, is a woman called Lydia. Lydia was most likely a Macedonian uh, Greek, although she lived in this Roman settlement of Philippi. She was evidently quite well-to-do uh, from uh, an agent of a purple dye firm in Thyatira, which was a city um, further southeast in Pergamon, um, a, a slightly further inland. Uh, there's some speculation as to, to the social status of Lydia. She could have been a slave because often she's titled as Lydia of Thyatira, which is a common way of denoting somebody who's a slave. They give their name, but they say where they come from, so they're owned by the, sort of the, the area they come from. Uh, but she was obviously a merchant, a dealer in purple cloth, we're told. Uh, if you look at images of, of Lydia, you'll find often she has a purple shawl or veil. Uh, and in the Catholic tradition, she's actually known as the patroness of dyers, that is D-Y-I-E-R-S, uh, not dire, uh, as in die. Um, whatever, she's likely to have been on the wealthier side um, of things as the dye that she traded in, as you probably know, was a very valuable and expensive commodity. And the point here, I think, is that God wants to reach all people. Uh, he's the God of the rich and the poor, the sick and the healthy, the professional worker and the labourer, the God of all races and all nations, of men and women. Uh, the picture that we have uh, when we look at it in that way is that picture that we have in Revelation, where there is a new kingdom that has none of these divides in place. A, God where, uh, a place where God reigns over an undivided uh, kingdom with no segregation, where Liverpool fans will stand alongside Man United fans and probably Roma fans as well, despite the result. I think that when we experience something of that, and I have uh, in various places uh, uh, in my life, I think that we sense that we are touching something of heaven. It's a delight when we meet with, with, with those divides broken down. Just last, uh, the week before last, there was a, a BBC theme. Um, I don't know if you saw the news, but on the theme they were talking about crossing divides. Um, uh, and there was one story earlier on in the week uh, of two 17-year-old girls. Um, one was a British Mancunian, very proud Mancunian. One was a Middle Eastern Mancunian, a very proud Mancunian. A and I was, I was deeply moved as I watched them uh, talk about the joy that they had found in their differences. 
You know, so often we hear about, I don't like them because, I don't agree with them because. But these two girls who came from completely different backgrounds uh, came together, uh, one wearing uh, a veil, the other not wearing a veil. They're walking, the, the picture was they were walking down the street and they were laughing and joking and they were talking about how much joy they found in their differences. I love that. And God will love that too because he wants to reach all people. The single flavour church is never as exciting as the multi-flavour church, I can assure you. Our son, Joe, is, is, is currently working with an HTV church plant up in Derby. Derby again. Um, and, and we went there a few weeks ago to, to just see how things were getting on. They started, uh, they opened the church in December 2012. Uh, 2012. What was last year? 2017, that's right. Um, that's when they started the church plant off. Um, when we went up in February, there were 250 people for the evening service. Um, their first Alpha course, which started in December, had 110 people on it. Uh, it, you know, it's an astonishing church growth process. But when, when we went to the evening service, at that stage they were only holding evening services, they're now holding morning services as well. We went to the evening service, it was great. It's a city church, so of course this helps. But there were old and young, it's a student area, so lots of students around. There were retired, uh, there were professionals, uh, it's in the city of, of uh, Rolls-Royce, so there were people from the higher echelons of Rolls-Royce and the people who worked on the shop floor in Rolls-Royce. There were homeless people there. Uh, there were well-heeled and homed people, uh, people who lived in the bigger houses up in the Peak District. Uh, there were students. There were unemployed. It was glorious. It was just an amazing mix of people gathering to worship God. And again, it gave me that sort of sense of a glimpse of what heaven is surely going to be like. So they sat down and began to speak to the women. They chatted. Uh, we realised that, that God wants to reach all people. But also, um, there's an interesting clash in here, which uh, if you didn't have the, the Bible in front of you, you may not have seen. But in most Bibles, it says um, uh, before, at the end of, of verse 10 and before you get into verse 11, it's titled, Lydia's Conversion in Philippi. But... When you get into verse 14, we're told that she was a worshipper of God. What a clash. She's a worshipper of God, but we're told uh, that this is the passage which talks about her conversion. That helps us to understand something, I think, of the nature of society today. And what I want to declare, um, no arguments here, please, we are not a secular society. Do not allow yourselves to get under that mould of we're a secular society. We're not a secular society. Lydia was a worshipper of God, we're told. We have a problem in our mission when we divide society into sacred and secular. This is not news. This has been said many times over the years. Um, the Apostle Paul actually tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So when you're out in the sunshine getting that suntan on that lovely head of yours, do it for the glory of God. When you're driving up and down the motorway, Adrian, thinking, oh no, another building to look at, do it for the glory of God. Everything 
we do should be seen as spiritual. We've been tricked, I think, into thinking that there is a secular, neutral ground in our lives that is neither for or against God. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. One pastor I was reading recently said this. He said, the cosmic, gargantuan, 24-7 kingdom of God cannot be shrunk down to a few hundred people or 30 or 40 people singing songs in a nice building for an hour every weekend. And it can't be shrunk down to that. When it comes to our mission today, let's understand this, that the spiritual is out there. It's out there. You only need to look to see that it's out there. That the secular that they talk about out there is probably so much more sacred than we could ever imagine. That the people around you are often worshippers of God without even realising it. And the key thing here is that Lydia, a worshipper of God, we read, responded to Paul's message and her heart was opened. And she went on to be baptised as a believer of Jesus, a convert to following Jesus as Lord. When the church is doing mission, we are so, not, are so often not dealing with people who are far away from the Lord, but often with people who are closer than they think or understand to the kingdom. And the problem is that we often focus on a huge divide between those who believe and those who do not. And forget about this middle section where so many people are. Let's allow God to do that judging about where people are in the journey to the kingdom and just be the people of God in what we say and do. As I say, it comes back to John 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, if you live in this way, if you act out this way in your lives, people will come to know Jesus. I often think that if the church could really do this well, this loving one another, we would actually see a different result. Sadly, we so often hash this up so that the huge spiritual desire of men and women that is out there are turned away from God because they look at the church and say, well, it's no different there. How often in testimony do we hear folks say, well, I sort of believed in God but didn't get this sort of Jesus thing? Or something similar to that. Let's rub out the great divide between sacred and secular. Let's be the people of God. Let's be kingdom people where those who worship God become followers of the Saviour Jesus. Fourthly and finally, um, uh, listen to this. It says in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart. You know, God is able to open even the most impenetrable heart. Everyone's hearts, all cultures, all ages, all statuses are available to be opened by God. How many times have you heard the statement, I'm not an evangelist? Or, let's be honest, how many times have you said, I'm not an evangelist? I'm sorry, but you do not need to be in an accredited list to be an evangelist. We are all called to be evangelists. Matthew 28, uh, 19. Let me just turn to it. Uh, says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It didn't say, 
Therefore, those who are on the accredited list as evangelists are asked by me to go and make disciples of all nations and baptise them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Actually, the better translation of that, I've said this here before, I'm sure, the better translation is, as you are going, make disciples. You see, it's changed from the mission week, go and make disciples, for this week only, to as you are going through life, walking down the village street, going to the pub, make disciples. It's the mission, it's not the mission weekend, it's not the mission week, but the mission life we're called to. As you are going to work, to the gym, to the shops, to the pub, to the park, to your friends, to your family, to the banks, to the solicitors, everywhere, this is our task to go and tell people about Jesus. And don't worry about how it works. You know, that's another, that's another mis, mis sort of conception in mission is that we have to think, now if we do this, how's it going to happen? How's it going to work? Forget that. Don't worry about how it's going to be, it works or how it's going to be received. Verse 14 says that the Lord opened her heart to respond. Don't you find that encouraging? It's not our job to open their heart. It's the Lord's work that opens their heart. That the Lord of all creation, of stars and moons, opens people's hearts to the salvation news of Jesus Christ. We're not heart surgeons. But thank God, God is a heart surgeon. He is able, able to open people's hearts. Our job is simply to sow the seed into people's lives by what we say, by what we do. Uh, you know, early this, this year, Billy Graham, such a great man, such a great man. Uh, who went to see Billy Graham speak at any event? Yeah, most of the older people did. <laughs> um, I'll put my hand up slowly, because uh, I did. When I was very, very young, I have to say. Um, you know, he was an amazing man, and he was an ordinary man. You know, when you read his, his, his autobiography and his biographies, everybody says he was just such an ordinary man. I'd love to have met him. He was such an ordinary man. And what did he do? He didn't say, I'm the one who can change your heart. No, he said, this is the good news of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. If you think this could make a difference in your life, and I believe it it can, then come on down, to use that famous uh, game show expression. He invited them down. And it was God who opened their hearts. We sow the seed... God can do the heart surgery. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, uh, verse 4 forward says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Verse 7 and 8, uh, verse 7 says, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow, who does the operation on people's hearts. So friends, I want to say to you, don't be despondent. Don't be despondent. Get out there, chat with people, uh, any people of all ages, status and, and, and styles, um, And you will see God at work in people's lives. Don't be despondent. God is at work in people's lives as a heart surgeon. Our aim is simply to live lives which are worthy to him. To be out there as disciples 
as kingdom people living a life which is worthy to him. And so we're going to watch a, a video. Um, I, I, I've used this before, this video, and I have to say it comes with a health warning because some of the words can bite us, I think, because we tend to be middle-class, lovely churches. Some of these words may bite us, but God wants to reach out and open the hearts of all people. So let's watch this video and then we'll sing a song just to reflect as well.
to you God of the wounds we bear God of the deepest dreams we share God of our unspoken prayer I come to you God of a world that's lost God of a lonely cross God who has come to us We come 